Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Surge. If it's your first time with us, I apologize for the, the shale of uh, just do it. We're actually talking about personal calling, and we have a basic framework of be, do, go, that, uh, that God has created us uniquely as we are um, with character and, and a sense of identity, and that what we do and the activity of calling flows out of who we are. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, do. Last week, Dwayne talked to us about be and the identity of being a child of God and some of the things uh, that means. Uh, but this week is, is to just do it. And the first thing we need to realize when we talk about the activity of calling is, is this. We've just got to throw away the American scorecard. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the American dream of having our kids do a little bit better than, than the parents of of having a house and the white picket fence and the you know, 2.5 dogs and whatever it is. It's like there's nothing wrong with those things. However, all those things are temporary. Calling is forever. And the investments that we make uh, in the life of God and in, in the life that God wants us to have last forever. So the activity of calling is this. I just want to say this to, to start out, and this is where we're going to end up. The activity of calling is grounded in faith. It started in prayer. It's continued in perseverance, secured in small beginnings, and it's invested in the next generation. Say it again. The activity of calling is grounded in faith, started in prayer, continued in perseverance, secured in small beginnings, and invested in the next generation. Scripture today is from the book of Kings. It's a story uh, that many of you will know very well about Elijah. This is right after his encounter with the prophets of Baal. So 1 Kings starting in chapter 18. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down to the earth, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Uh, this is a fascinating story, and, and I think it, it, it points to some of the things that Elijah did and some of the things that I think God wants to do in us. But the first thing I want to notice from this passage is this. Elijah's the best weatherman ever, right? He's, he's standing with Ahab, and, and remember the, the setting of the story. He had gone to Ahab three years before and said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And in, the, in an ancient economy that was based on agriculture, no rain means no crops means no prosperity is very, very bad. And so there had been a drought in Israel for three years. This is very, very bad. So when Elijah says, go eat and drink for there's a sound of rushing and rain, this is very good news. But the context that Elijah is doing this in is in a completely cloudless sky, (laughs) right? He's standing before Ahab, not a cloud in the sky, and says, guess what? Go eat and drink, start the party. It's going to rain. (laughs) See, the the thing that drives Elijah to action is not the evidence of the cloudless sky. It's not the physical world. world. It's not what his eyes could see. For Elijah, the thing driving his action was his relationship with the creator of the sky, 
the author of the reign, the one who created him as well. And that love and that relationship and that understanding trumped the physical. It always has and it always will. Related to calling, dare to dream even in a cloudless sky. Dare to dream big. Everything that Elijah did, he's very bold in public. He's very bold before Ahab. But every single thing he did was grounded in prayer, was grounded in humility, was grounded on God's instructions. It was grounded in faith. Second thing is this. <laughs> Elijah's a study in contrast. He, he really is. He, he's, in, in the previous chapter, he's literally calling down fire from heaven. He's mocking 400 prophets of Baal that wanted to kill him and could have killed him. He's standing in front of kings and telling them, I'm the guy telling you this is how it's going to be. And everyone believes him because when Elijah speaks, it happens. But that boldness doesn't come in a vacuum. It comes from his grounding in faith and his foundation of prayer. He spent time and he got his marching orders before he was this bold in public because he knew that his power wasn't his own. His power came from his humility and it came from his ability to surrender. And the, the status and the station, the posture of prayer frames this for us beautifully. It puts us in the position of asking. It puts us in the position of kneeling, sometimes even physically. Puts us in the position of knowing that we're not able to do it all ourselves. We want to do something a little different. All right. I, uh, on your tables in front of you, I wanted to do uh, this with this uh, module just because it's, it's interesting to me. Um, on, on the tables in front of you, you have these sheets of paper that have a bunch of things that are actions that Jesus did. I just went through uh, one of the Gospels and pulled several of these. And here's what I want you to do. Grab a pen if you would. And we're just going to take a couple of minutes. And what I want you to do is I want you to mark seven of the things that Jesus did that particularly resonate with you, that you find particularly interesting or fascinating or that just catch your eye, that catch your heart. Uh, so, so pick out seven things of this on the, the list of the sheet of paper and uh, just put a little mark or a check beside those and we'll have a step two in just a minute. So take a couple of minutes and do that and we'll be right back.
looks like most people have these, so we'll go ahead to step two. The, the second thing that I want you to do is take your seven, and I want you to narrow it down to three. Just take about a minute, 30 seconds, and narrow the seven down to three, the top three that really resonate with you. This is a blunt instrument, and, and I don't know that this is going to be, you know, a light bulb or a lightning strike moment for many of you, but what's interesting about this is as we see Jesus doing things related to his calling, sometimes the thing that resonates with us as we see that is, is a clue into our own nature, is a clue into our own calling um, to the way that God has, has wired us. And so the things that you chose were not an accident. You had a whole buffet of of items, the direction that you went with this can be indicative and can be insightful into the person that God is making you to be. Um, so let me just share a couple of people's. Um, this is Evangeline's three picks. <laughs> so the, her first one was, Jesus was God's son and God was pleased with him. Her second one was, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. Third one is, Jesus fed thousands of people. And that's an interesting three picks for her, being the tender age of eight years old. Of course, she's captured by the idea of, of parents being pleased with children. Of course she is. Um, raises a little girl from the dead. It's something that she can identify with. She sees that story. She sees a father distraught or a little girl who's, who's died, and Jesus restoring that family, bringing healing even from the, f- the face of death into that. And it's just interesting to her that God can speak that level of power and that level of healing into a family and uh, Jesus fed thousands of people. I reminded that earlier this year we did a uh, Generosity Feeds event to help uh, the High School of Falls Church and a couple of other schools that benefited from that as well to have kids who are on free and reduced lunches. Often they don't have enough food to eat on the weekends. We provided uh, some cheap, easy to prepare meals. Uh, we did 10,000 of them and sent them out to the schools. She was a part of that wearing the little hat and she was all, all about it. And, and of course, in, in her mind, of course, you should feed people. Why would you not feed hungry people? But for her, Jesus is very connected to these things, to the idea of healing, to the idea of justice. Um, Karen's three are these, and I, I thought this was interesting. Uh, the, the first one is Jesus forgives sin. The second is Jesus' family are the people who do God's will. The third one for her was Jesus reveals that he is the son of God. All of hers are very relational. Um, you know, so it's the forgiveness of sin, but that's, the forgiveness of sin is always about the restoration of relationship, either with God or with other people. Um, Jesus's family are the people who do God's will, that literally the activity of calling, the activity of, of grace is something that draws us into <laughs> the, the fellowship of God, that Jesus reveals that he is the son of God, meaning that God is his father, right? All of these are very relational. And, and Karen often in her when she's at her best calling-wise, it's incredibly relational. She's speaking wisdom into a situation uh, with someone that she has credibility and relationship with. Uh, these are my three, just as a, as a last example of these. Uh, my first one was that got me last night was Jesus taught in the synagogue with authority. The second one would be Jesus teaches the disciples more deeply in private. The third one, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made 
for man, not man for the Sabbath. I, I love that Jesus reaches beyond the McNugget, as it were, that, that he reaches to the deep things of God, that he understands the grace and compassion, and that he invests that knowledge and that insight into us to bless us. So I hope this was, this was useful for you. The things that you see in Jesus, the things that you admire about him, the things that resonate with you might be a clue as to what God is doing and building in you. So if you would, just take that, put that in the back part of your brain and let it, let it stew there, let it, uh, let it percolate and see what comes up. All right. So the first two things from the passage in Elijah is, one, he was grounded in faith. He was speaking God's word and God's will over a situation when it was not yet, right? He was dreaming of a future that was not present and, and investing the power and wisdom of God into that. He was grounded in faith. The second thing is he started in prayer. He didn't just, you know, command it to rain and do a dance and, and do a thing or he didn't, you know, it, he actually humbled himself and went to pray, to seek God's face, to seek what he should do, to wait on God's answer and to really wait. The third thing that he did that, that really hit me, and I think this is a good word for us at the surge, is uh, he continued in perseverance. Sent a servant back seven times to look for a sign of rain. The first six times he got nothing. <laughs> he got nothing, right? And, and it's something that we hear and it's something that we hear in our culture. I, I mean, I, I've heard it said this way. If you do the same things, you'll get the same result. And that kind of makes sense, right? Or, or the, the flip side of it is that it's, in, it's literally insanity to keep doing the same things and get a different result, right? And, and that's true in, in a sense, in the sense that if you keep making bad decisions, there are probably consequences that will come and bite you, right? I mean, we can all understand that. I mean, you might need to make a different decision if you want a different result um, related to the things that we do. But the thing that I want to say is this, and what makes me a little bit crazy about this, is when it comes to calling and when it comes to the activity of God, God isn't bound by cause and effect, right? He's not bound by our decisions. He can work around us very effectively. Just ask Isaac in the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. We, we, we preach the word in season and out of season. That assumes there is an out of season. But we're doing the same thing, right? We're doing the same thing. It's, it's more effective. We're doing the same thing. It's less effective. And, and that is, as, as God wills it, we do the very best that we can. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't be stupid. But <laughs> we do the best, very best that we can, but we depend on God for the results, we can't control people, right? I, I, can't, I can't control the, the, free moral, the free will of the moral agents in false church to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ any more than Elijah can shake his fist at the sky and make it rain. Can't get it done. But what I can do is love people. We can do the very best that we can and let God do his thing. And in his way and in his timing, he can come with power and show up with something that's amazing. I, I, I just want us to get out of the idea that <laughs> that success in spiritual life is a, res is a direct result of what we do. It's not. It, it impacts things, sure. But it's a result of our relationship with God and the grace that he brings to us. I, I mean, think, think about it this way. Um, think about Joshua at Jericho. He's walking around and playing trumpets uh, to overcome a walled city. Think about Gideon with his 300, with the pitchers and the torches and, and the thing at night. Think about David with his sling walking out to face Goliath. Think about Joseph in prison. Think about Hosea home alone, not giving up on his marriage. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. Think about John the Baptist with the dumbest marketing plan ever, right? John, what are we going to do? We want to reach this generation for God. What are you going to do? 
I'm going to eat bugs and yell at people. I mean, that, that was his marketing plan. And it worked beautifully. Why? Because he was dialed in to where God wanted him to be, and it worked out great. All, all of these people were titans of the faith. All of them. All of them had huge victories. Huge. None of them. None of their victories were about being clever or being good with process or doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. All of their victories were about trusting God more than what their circumstances look like should happen. (laughs) And that's what we need to do. We continue in perseverance. All of them experienced God deeply. All of them saw God do amazing things because they were willing to trust God beyond what they could see. To look at the evidence and say God's love is bigger than the evidence. Excuse me. They won not because of what they did, but because they put themselves in a position to allow God to do more than they ever could. They continued in perseverance. And it was that trust and putting themselves in the right place that resulted in the outshining of God's power, not in what they did. (laughs) The fourth thing I noticed from this uh, passage of scripture is that they were, things are secured in small beginnings. Um, a, A storm was coming. A storm was coming together, but the evidence looked like a little bitty small cloud in the sky. It was the size of a man's hand. <clears throat> we have to understand this. Every big thing starts out as a small thing. <laughs> Always happens that way. Every person you know started out as a single cell, a zygote. Every, every storm starts with a little cloud that starts to gain massive momentum and gets bigger and bigger. Every great move of God started with someone like Elijah, maybe by themselves, praying Father, send your spirit to do something amazing in this generation. And the movement touching millions of lives and the great awakening or, or the, the, the stuff we see in Acts, uh, the stuff, the outshining at Azusa Street, all, all the touching of millions of people all started with one person, a handful of people praying and asking God to do something amazing. It starts small, but it doesn't end small. The last thing I I want to uh, call uh, related to doing the activity of doing um, here is that in the very next chapter, Elijah calls Elisha. And he's very interested in investing in the next generation. It's fascinating to me that of all the things that Elijah's doing, you know, with the fire from heaven and and just the amazing miracles that he saw, um, that one of his primary activities was to get a guy (laughs) and to help him be the leader of the next generation that he invested in coaching and mentoring in the relationship that he had with Elisha. Takes him with him on the adventure of being a prophet. And like Jesus, it was one of the primary things that he did. If you think about mentoring relationships and the activity of calling in terms of spiritual life, I think there are three three possibilities to look for, uh, up, sideways, and down, uh, to, to put... To put it simply, I mean, an up mentoring relationship would be to find someone who could coach you, right? To say, I I need to build capability in this way or I need advice or counsel. Find somebody who's smarter than you, who's better than you in that particular area and ask them what they think. They'll have something good to say. Um, Find someone who is who you want to be and find a way to spend time with them. Maybe just ask them directly, hey, could I could I just sit with you over a tasty beverage once a month, once a quarter, and would you just talk to me about the stuff that I'm working on? It, It often they'll say yes, <laughs> and, and the results of that can be amazing. There's also a, a sideways mentoring, a peer mentoring relationship. Um, people that you know, people who are friends, ask, ask them for counsel and advice. They'll often have 
an amazing perspective. They'll have something good to say just from seeing it from different eyes, through a different set of experiences, through a different lens that God has given them. There's amazing things that we can do for each other. Uh, The third type of mentoring relationship is a down relationship. It's not down in terms of bad. It's it's down in terms of downstream. Um, So look for people who are not as far down the path as you are. Might be at your job. There might be a new kid who comes in. Take him under your wing, right? There are things that you know that will help him, right? Um, for students, if you're, a, if you're an older student, a sophomore or a senior, take a look at the freshman who's looking lost and help them, right? There, there might be some valuable things that you could give them just as a gift just by being where you are. Look to invest in the next generation. It's, it's integral to our success. Um, in related to... Of mentoring and coaching, there's a, just an interesting thing I've been following. As many of you know, I, I, I like to watch basketball, uh, and one of the teams uh, that's made the finals this year is the Golden State Warriors. Their coach is a, is a guy named Steve Kerr. This is him. Um, he played with Michael Jordan in that great Bulls team back in the day. He was just a, an amazing three-point shooter and is an amazing coach. Um, under, his, under his leadership, the Golden State Warriors over the last three years have won more games than any NBA team in history. Um, in the finals so far, they've actually swept the first three rounds. They're, they're 12-0 and in the playoffs. That's never been done in the history of the NBA. And it's largely because of this guy. He's, he's put together a good team, and he's just done a wonderful job of coaching them. The interesting thing about this year particularly is that Kerr had back surgery uh, about a year and a half ago, and it just did not go well. His back is completely messed up at this point, and he's in so much pain that he literally can't... <laughs> He literally just can't even sit down. He has to lay down. Um, he hasn't been able to attend many of the playoff games this year. And yet they're 12-0. and 0. Isn't that a fascinating thing? That, that this amazing coach who's in some ways indispensable and an integral part of their success has created such an amazing culture and does such a good job teaching and preparing his team that even when he's gone, his success continues. It's a bit of a a paradoxical thing. He's integral to success, yet absence doesn't kill the golden goose when he's he's not there for a game. What what an amazing job that is. Listen, if you're in a situation where everything depends on you and as soon as you leave it all falls apart, you haven't done a good job in, in investing in the next generation and investing in the success of the people around you. Uh, courage has done an amazing thing, and it's just really interesting to see, it, to see it play out. All right, so for the activity of doing, the activity of doing, it outstrips our talents and abilities. It goes further than we can. It's grounded in faith. It's faithful in prayer, devoted to perseverance. We watch for small beginnings. We're invested deeply in the next generation. When we do that, we'll see amazing things. I just want to close um, with one thing, uh, and then we'll take communion. It was a couple years ago, I was in Oklahoma City, and uh, several of my friends at AOL, we had kind of gotten back together for a reunion, and there was a guy who was just a different friend of mine named Brad Barker, um, who actually was my boss at AOL for a while, was a peer of mine for a while, Uh, just a wonderful guy and just a wonderful man of God. He left AOL to work for Compassion, which is the organization that uh, seeks to bless little children all over the world, and they just have an amazing process. Um, and what he was doing for a while 
was he was actually doing guided tours where one of the things you can do as a compassion sponsor is you can actually go visit the place that you've invested in and actually meet, um, you know, the child that you've sponsored at some point. So he was taking people to do this and he actually uh, got to meet one of the kids that he had sponsored. And at this point she was, I think she was 26 or 27 and she was a nurse and she was doing really well. And and he said, oh, so tell me, tell me how you're doing and tell me about your life. And he's just, you know, it's just wonderful that this, this person is, is, is doing well in their life. And she says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're, you're Brad. And she just hugged him and she's crying and she's, she's completely beside herself. And he's like, you know, you're welcome, but I, you know, I, really didn't do, I really didn't do that much. He said, no, no, you don't understand. She said, do you remember the birthday present you sent me when I was 12? And he said, uh, honestly, no. <laughs> Uh, and it was a thing where compassion will say, hey, you know, the little child's birthday will come over Christmas. Would you like to give him a little gift? And he, he put in an extra $10 for her birthday. Her mom took the $10 and with the exchange rate, they bought seeds <laughs> with the $10. And with the seeds, they planted trees around their, around their property. And they watered the trees and loved the trees and the trees grew. When it came time for her to go to college, for whatever reason, uh, the area is just a very uh, sparse area related to wood. They cut down the trees and sold the wood, and it literally paid for her college education. <laughs> the, the, the $10 that he gave as a throwaway gift that he, you know, he blows more than that on soft drinks, he told me that in a week, you know, it's like, ah. He said, it's something I didn't even think about. It was an act of kindness. Yeah, I did it, but my intention was this, God's intention was this, and it was literally life-changing for this person across the world that he'd never met. God can do so much more than we think he can. The little thing that we do, the small kindness that we extend, the small things that we do become supercharged in his presence, in his love, um, in his power. And the things that we do in response to calling, the things that we do go so much further than we think, go so much further even than we intend. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So grounded in faith, faithful in prayer, devoted to perseverance, small beginnings, and investing deeply in the next generation. These things are the activity of calling. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us, and I thank you uh, for everyone here. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that you would just give us uh, the step we need to take now, that you would surround us with your presence and with your grace. And Lord, that you would just speak into our hearts and help us understand that the small thing that we do in obedience can be big in your hands, can be amazing in your sight. And Lord, I pray that you would just call us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.